the Science Inside podcast. This is the Science Inside. Science Inside. Hello and welcome to the Science Inside. I am your host, Bridget Lebe, and we are back with the Feature Scientist episode, a feature that happens every Monday of a new month. And during this time, we give the science a face and we talk to dazzling individuals who are making amazing things and are doing amazing things in their respective fields of science, tech and innovation. And this week, it's no special case. We speak to Dr. Nossi Piwe Nwala, a senior lecturer at the pharmacy department at Rhodes University. She has special interests in pharmaceutical chemistry, water sanitation, and the removal of uh, of pharmaceuticals from wastewater. Now, her field of research is particularly amazing and touching for me because not many like her focus um, on, 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 on how their work actually impacts on the environment and inevitably uh, human and animal life as well. So her focus mainly zooms in on how wastewater can be treated and how we can better manage uh, wastewater and how antimicrobial resistance uh, is in the environment. Now in 2016 she was awarded the Rhodes Makana Environmental Award and SA's Young Independent Media Top 100 Award and most recently she was awarded the Mail and Guardian 200 Young South Africans, which was in 2017. But this does not end there because her students are also testament to the quality of work she is producing. Last month, four of her PhD chemistry students were awarded top position in the 2019 Hultz Prize Challenge for their electronic and electrical waste management system. Now, the team participated in the 2016 Hultz Prize Regional Summit, which was held at Brook House International School in Nairobi, Kenya last month. And of course, they came up tops uh, for this innovation. But we will have more on on, on uh, this story and these news in the interview with the doctor. But in the meantime, we get in. You can get in touch with us on social media, uh, on Facebook as VowFM, and you may tweet us at VowFM hashtag Science Inside. The podcast is also up on iTunes and the vits.journalism.co.za forward slash science. And our WhatsApp line is, of course, 084-0784912. But as always, we have the news and we uh, Masbulele is bringing the news to us this week. In the newsmaking headlines this week, over a million evacuated in India ahead of major cyclone Fani. And IEC promises free, fair and accessible elections with the use of scientific measures. I'm Masibula Luluniga with the Science Inside News. A massive cleanup is underway in India after Cyclone Fani hit on Friday. The response by India's disaster management teams has been praised by the United Nations. Over a million people were evacuated before the Category 5 storm hit Odisha. It was reported yesterday that the death toll from the cyclone that battered India and Bangladesh rose to 42. As emergency 
teams raced to fix water supplies and roads devastated by the storm. 29 of the dead were in eastern India, Odisha state, and 13 were in Bangladesh. Officials in the two countries said a fraction of the casualty uh, numbers has seen uh, that has been seen in the past cyclones. Cyclone Fani, Cyclone Fani rather, uh, barreled into Odisha on Friday, packing winds of up to 200 kilometers an hour before losing intensity as it headed towards Bangladesh. 21 deaths were reported in Hindu uh, pilgrimage. Uh, city of Puri said Odisha Special uh, Relief Commissioner uh, Bishupada Sethi. Cyclone Fani comes a week after Cyclone Kenneth, which struck, which struck uh, northern Mozambique, displacing around 21,000 people uh, since it hit and killing more than 40 people. People. Just weeks before Kenneth, people in Malawi, Mozambique and, and Zimbabwe had experienced intense, intense tropical cyclone Idai, which was named one of the worst tropical cyclones on record to affect Africa and the Southern Hemisphere, leaving more than 1,000 people dead and 1,000 more missing. We spoke to Jacqueline Modica, senior forecaster at the South African Weather Services, to understand the root of these drastic weather changes. Well... It depends on, on, on how you view drastic weather changes because some of the weather phenomena that we are experiencing are actually quite normal for the time of the year. Um, for example, we had uh, quite a big system, which is referred to as a cutter flow system, that influenced um, bigger parts of the country over the Easter weekend and then specifically over KwaZulu-Natal, where I think the most impact was felt um, as far as heavy rain and flooding and so forth uh, took place. So a cutter flow is really not an unusual system, and especially um, during the autumn season and spring seasons, which is the transition seasons between summer and winter or winter to summer. And uh, But I think what makes it significant was the effect that it had on KwaZulu-Natal as far as the amount of rainfall that was experienced, and then also it led to um, quite significant damage to infrastructure such as the houses um, and the roads. So yes, that is, that is uh, an occurrence that doesn't ho- happen as intense as often, but it's not an unusual system to be experiencing this time of the year. According to Mudika, the recent cyclone events and floods hitting certain parts of South Africa can be attributed to a rise in sea levels that is as a result of climate change. We are quite advanced in, in being able to detect uh, weather systems that will have an effect on a certain an area. And so tropical cyclone forecasting is also one of the practices that is, that is taking place. However, South African Weather Service is not the regional specialist. Um, the La Reunion, uh, which is the... Uh, that was uh, the wrong clip. Unfortunately, we will try and play the right one again. We are quite advanced in, in being able to detect uh, weather systems that will have an effect on a certain an area. And so tropical cyclone forecasting is also one of the practices that is that is taking place. However, South African Weather Service is not the regional specialist. Um, the La Reunion, uh, which is the French uh, meteorological service, they are the specialists for the Indian Ocean basket, uh, Basin. And so they do the forecast for tropical cyclones specifically. And then we we also relate that message to the southern uh, African district countries being the one that will then communicate. 
So um, the numerical prediction models can pick up the development as much as five days or so ahead of time. And should it be persistent and the confidence it is very high for the occurrence, already we have put out alerts, which is watches and warnings. And then the South African Weather Service also liaise with the disaster risk um, um, managers and, and, and government authorities within the different countries to alert them um, for the possible weather that they can experience. So currently the South African Weather Service is heading a project called the Severe Weather Demonstration Project. And in this project, we are alerting our SADC region on weather phenomena that might affect them, and the specific emphasis are on strong and damaging winds, and then also heavy, 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 heavy rain, which is rain that is in excess of 50 uh, millimeters and above. And then we also um, give them some information on the sea state. So um, these three are connected when it comes to a tropical cyclone, for example, because it goes with very strong uh, damaging storm winds. It goes with extremely high rates uh, of rainfall and then also an increase in the sea state, which uh, storm surge can cause quite, quite significant damage, especially to the areas that is closer to the coast. And so we interact and rehave. And I think with with the, the last tropical cyclone, um, which is uh, the one that was just experienced recently, Kenneth, the activity was quite greater as Mozambique had enough time to evacuate quite a significant amount of people in the areas that has been highlighted to be affected. And so even the fatality rate was um, much, much lower than what happened on the previous previous time. So you will have at least three to five days in advance an idea of what a weather system um, to its magnitude can do to an area. So yes, it is possible that we do forecast and give out uh, the alerts as and when it is necessary. And that was Jacqueline Modica, senior forecaster at the South African Weather Services, uh, of course explaining uh, how with India receiving praise for its evacuation efforts prior to cyclone, to the recent cyclone, uh, explaining how predicting cyclone is as is, is, is advanced in Africa and how uh, we failed previously in, uh, in uh, uh, actually evacuating people before these cyclones hit. Uh, political parties are wrapping up their camp- campaigning and South Africa in general uh, is gearing up for its most pivotal elections since the dawn of democracy. A record number of voters have registered for the 8 May 2019 general elections and some voters have already been, some votes rather have already been cast. Ahead of voting day this week, Independent Electoral Commission is confident of a free, fair and accessible election process for all with the level of technology and sciences they are applying. And we spoke to Peter Moses, head of outreach and communications in the Gauteng province, who told us what some of these measures are. Uh, well, as it relates to uh, the science that we are using, I'm sure you know there's uh, what is called an indelible ink that we use at, at voting stations. That once a voter has voted, is, is then uh, the indelible ink is put on their thumb to make sure that they don't vote again. But over and above that, we have uh, uh, scanners that we use at voting stations to assist in the process of uh, of uh, queues and also in, uh, determine where voters are voted. So through that scanner, we can determine if the person first is voted, and secondly, if the person uh, is at the correct voting station, 
And thirdly, uh, if uh, the person can either be directed to the right uh, table or either applying for a Section 24A or it can be directed to the station where they are registered. So there's these types of technologies that we use to ensure that the process is credible and it's free and it's fair. In terms of accessibility, we found we found out about how the IEC has ensured people register and whether or not votes can be cast online or if there is an app. No, not right now there isn't. However, I'm sure you are aware that during a registration at universities, we were registering our students online. Over and above that, people can go online and update their details. They do not necessarily have to come to our offices to update. We can go online and uh, uh, follow the, the prompts on the, on, the, on the IC systems to update their details if, if they have moved home. Maybe they used to stay in uh, one place and they've moved to another place. They don't have to go to an IC office to update their details. They can do that online. The Council for Scientific and Industrial Research, CSIR, has said that their prediction model will be able to give news reporters a good indication of which party will be in the lead and how many seats they are expected to take. The CSIR has in the past elections predicted the winners using its research and prediction formula. In this election, they have partnered with the SABC. Moses says as the IEC, they are not involved or affiliated with these prediction models and how, if possible, they can affect the election turnout. These are always uh, predictions. You know, the as researchers always have these predictions. As the IEC, we don't uh, venture into that area. We run elections, count the the uh, ballots that we receive at our stations, and provide results based on that. We don't really venture into uh, suppositions. Recapping your top stories this hour, over a million people have been evacuated in India ahead of major cyclone Fani and the IEC has promised free and fair and accessible elections with the use of its scientific measures. Thank you for delivering those uh, news, Masi. Uh, but I think this is really incredible what um, they've been able to do for uh, for India. I mean, evacuating so many people over such a you know short space. But it it just goes to show what science can actually do when it is practiced properly and in time. Of course, of course. It's quite admirable what India have done. Over a thousand people evacuated in the space of five days. And uh, these are obviously things that um, we as uh, Southern Africa failed to do with Cyclone Idai, which... uh, pretty much was what resulted in pretty much the same number of deaths and it's it's pretty amazing that they managed to only uh, um, uh, actually get the, the the death toll to just 42 which is not a small number but the authorities have said it could have been much much worse had the evacuation not been um, not been implemented so that's quite amazing yeah truly incredible and uh, now with the elections are you voting in the upcoming elections uh, it's very difficult i don't know i don't think i'm gonna i'm gonna say <laughs> <laughs> i'm still not sure you're still undecided <laughs> i'm still undecided it's very tricky um and, and a very tricky election um and i think it's quite uh it's quite heavy the competition this time around there's been so many political parties coming out um and I'm just quickly just uh, I'm just excited to see uh, the turnout finally when the results actually come out because these are quite contested um, elections. Mm, funny, <laughs> are you voting? you're looking forward to the, the predictions and other people's votes, and you are not participating. <laughs> Maybe I'll just spoil it. I don't know. I just don't. <laughs> All right. Um, yeah. Well, I'll definitely be voting. Um, yeah. yeah. I really want to make my indelible mark in these in the e- upcoming elections, but. 
thank you so much for uh, the news. So, um, you are still with the science inside. We are going to take a really short break and then we'll be back. Welcome back. You're still with the science inside. And on the line tonight, we chat with Dr. Nosi Pueng-Mwala. She has a PhD in pharmaceutical chemistry and she completed uh, her PhD where she's currently working at the Rhodes University. She specializes in areas of waste management, particularly with regards to the removing harm of harmful pharmaceuticals from wastewater and freshwater reserves, which in most cases ends up in our streams, rivers and uh, the oceans. Uh, a very warm welcome and good evening to you, uh, Nosi Piwe. Hello. Yes, welcome Hello. to Hello. the Science Inside. Yes, I can hear you. All right. Firstly, I'd like to say congratulations on the accolade that your students have received. I would like to find out from you, how does this make you feel as not only a mentor, but as a leader and a teacher? What does this mean for you? Of course, I'm happy. I'm excited about it. I'm happy for the team. Um, This is not our first time participating with our science. This is our third year actually participating with the university. So first time we did not make it. Second time we went to Kenya but we were unable to proceed. For this time around, which is the third time, two teams they qualified. One team qualified to go to Kenya and the second team qualified to go to Nigeria. So it's, it's a really exciting for this team to come back home, qualifying to go uh, to London for the next phase of the competition. Of course, what is exciting the most is that they are science students, not only just science students, they are also PhD candidates. And to me as an academic, it shows that we're not just creating scientists, but we are coming up with more informed graduates and entrepreneurs. Hmm. Well, that is truly incredible. It reminds me of Aliyah's song where she says, if you first don't succeed, you get up again and then you try again. Uh, but uh, Dr. Nwala, I'm not uh, alone here on the show. I have my colleague here, uh, Kempion Zarima, and we will be going through this interview together. So I'm sure he has some uh, questions to ask you himself. Okay. Okay. So uh, I just want to. Hi, know, I'm John. Hi. How are you? Thank you for being on the show. Yes, but I can't hear you. You can't hear me. <laughs> uh, can, can you, you hear me now? Yes. Okay. Okay. Sorry about that. So I just wanted to know. Um, so I understand that participants of this competition were challenged to not only come up with a scientific and innovative way of addressing socio-economic ills in their respective countries, but they were also expected to address the issue of unemployment. So how many spin-offs are likely to come out of this project, particularly for a country such as ours where unemployment is so high? Okay, so um, firstly, they had to use the triple bottom line, which is your society, your environment, and then they have to look at the at the goals, international goals, your SDGs. So um, they had to come up with local solutions, and then secondly, um, they have to create ten thousand jobs for the next decade. 
and mind you, this is not only just students. Students are going to get mentors to assist them to actually create this job that they have proposed. So I, I'm happy with the idea that, especially now that we know that South Africa annually produces about 216,000 tons of electronic waste, and only about 12%, uh, 12% of those that is able to be recycled and also it is just exposed uh, exposed, uh, exposed to other countries. So it is, uh, this method is going to come up with a local method so we don't have to export anymore, hopefully. Uh, we will not have to export and we will have to recycle our waste within South Africa and this is not only going to help South Africa, it will the African continent. And um, since you're speaking about uh, the African continent as uh, as well, so um, are there were there other African countries participating in this competition? Yes, of course. This was African uh, competition first, so they will go and participate internationally with all other countries. So there were forty-two other teams that uh, attended the competition from all over Africa. So, and then there were groups based on their theme. As I said, that the other group went to Nigeria and this group went to Kenya. So uh, they chose Kenya as their side for this competition, but all the Afri- all other African countries were involved and we became number one. All right. And, um, well, this is something that uh, really piqued my interest because um, I know in Cape Town they started a desalination plant uh, some some time back and they found scientists were also looking at the um, some of the chemicals they were finding in the water and they were finding that a lot of uh, pharmaceuticals in the water. And I'm quite pleased and impressed by the work that you are currently doing. And therefore, I would like you to speak about the research that you have done that looks at the removal of pharmaceuticals from uh, freshwater reserved, uh, reserves and uh, how you, are, uh, you have come up with a solution to this endemic problem. Okay, so um, yes, we do research on the removal of pharmaceuticals, especially from, um, we're focusing on pharmaceuticals that are from the rivers that come out of the wastewater treatment plants or because of, of the human practice, they end up to the rivers and destroy the natural system of the, of, of the rivers. So in our project, we are trying to come up with cheaper ways to address the problem. However, I cannot talk much about this project because it's not complete yet. We still, you are going to hear more about it by the end of the year. But mm-hmm. all I can say that is exciting is that we are currently working with Department of Environmental Affairs to address the issue of, of endocrine disruption. So I can't really say much. All right. But we are working on the traditional methods, something that we can produce as a continent, something that is from us, and some uh, some solutions that are going to be used by our community. Okay. Um, so currently, there's a citizen-based water monitoring program for the Makana municipality. 
can you please briefly explain to me why was the program set up and uh, what have the results been like? Okay, so now we are Makanda. Yes. We're no longer Makanda. <laughs> no, I said Makanda. Okay. <laughs> yes, Makanda. Makanda. It's Makanda. Yes. Oh, okay. Sorry. Okay. Um, so there was a Apakawi Water Sanitation and Catchment Management Forum, mm-hmm. which was established last year. Uh, no, it was established in 2016. Mm-hmm. So, but then it was coming from the CMF, the Catchment Management so, uh, Forum, that um, was established by Department of Water and Sanitation. So the catchment campaign is working together with the Minister of Water and Sanitation and the municipality, combined with the stakeholders, to address the issues of water, sanitation, and catchment catchment, uh, programs. So some of the objectives of the forum is to ensure that the government manages the catchment in a sustainable way and also to enable reliable water service delivery so that um, we can monitor the environmental impact on the catchment which that will enhance the transparency and making it a two-way information flow between government and the people so it was a seven so that there can be a communication. People can have the space to voice out their concerns and then they can talk to these people themselves. And they also can participate and form part of the solution. Now, on a pilot, um, on a pilot scale, you also explored the viability and performance of uh, lime filter tower for grey water treatment. So, what were your findings there? Has this been? Has this? Is this research um, currently underway? Have you done further research on this? Okay. So, uh, during my PhD, we investigating the grey water treatment. And we came up with the system, which is um, with Dr. Bonga Zuma and Professor Tandik. So we came up with the system that is called Fly Ash Lime Filter Tower. And at the moment, with okay, firstly we find that okay, we are and we are able to clean our grey water, especially the bathroom water, through the uh, the system. So. Um, at the moment, we are installing the system in our residence to combat the water crisis in Grandstown. And then the grey water system, some of them have been installed in, in Grandstown communities. And we are monitoring already what is happening, how is the community re- receiving the technology, how are the students receiving the technology. We have installed the system within campus and with the community as well. So far it's going well and hopefully they will accept the technology. Truly amazing. Uh, My last question to you, uh, what has your experience what has experience been like working with communities and researchers, specifically those in the pharmaceutical industry and communities alike to get either of them to change? 
Okay, so it is always um, interesting to work with communities because you have to bring together different people who have different backgrounds. But um, so far, I'll say that it's really interesting, and I'm also learning, hopefully, that we, once we are developing this system, we also participate, we have more people participating on the programs, but um, the challenge is understanding, of which if there's clear communication, I do believe that um, once people understand what they are required to do or what is it that they need, they, they easily come on board and they can easily participate and support the idea. But the most challenge is what only comes when we are, we are still trying to navigate the system when you're still trying to bring up the idea and make sure that everyone understands. So communication is the key. So that's all I can say, that communication is the key. And that, in that way, you can be able to address the bottleneck that come around with the communication. But um, in terms of, of, of different stakeholders, yeah, I can really say that South Africa is transforming. Pharmaceutical industries are coming on board. People are interested and they are willing to learn. They want to participate. So on that point, I would say that we are really, we are really in an era where we have a transformative country and transformative era. Well, that is truly, uh, truly uh, phenomenal. Um, and, you know, it just, it, it, you, you are ending uh, your sentiment say, there by saying that uh, it's not that science is difficult to communicate, but we just all need to be um, clear about the messaging that we send out to our uh, communi- to our communities. Uh, but uh, that's where we leave the first session of our um, uh, Q&A session. Uh, please don't go anywhere, uh, Dr. Ngwala. We will come back uh, uh, for the next edition of this um, interview. But right now we are going into unscience. Unusual. Unlikely. Unscience. It's that time of the show that uh, many of us love because we... You know, we like to discover some of the silly and the special, sometimes the hilarious things that scientists are looking at. And today's Unscience was produced by Lebohang Mongani. And this week's Unscience was sourced from the news, science news for students. Let's get into it, Lebo. Um, so, Bridget, um, what do you think about dogs? I love dogs. I actually have a dog back at home. Okay, so would you believe me if I told you that the smell of fear may make it hard for dogs to track some humans? Well, I actually thought, I was always told as a young girl growing up that if you were fearful, dogs would actually sense that you are fearful and they would come up (laughs) after you. So I'm interested in what you have to tell me tonight. So being stressed or afraid may alter your odor. This may have an impact on trained dogs. Francesco studying studying genetics at the University of Foggia and his colleagues suggest that people with particular version of gene may have a big change when they're exposed to stress. Really? But could that negative effect on a trained dogs, um, but 
but you could have a, a negative impact on uh, trained dogs. I mean, which means that some might not um, may might not be human, and they may not be tracked down. Yes. Cesar reported, reported his findings at the annual meeting of the American Academy of Forensic Science. He and his colleagues, they focused on a gene called SLC6A4. SL6A4 is a gene which makes proteins that helps move signaling molecules in the brain and nerves. This gene is also linked with managing stress. Wow, that is, that is uh, amazing. So does this mean that people with a long version of this gene tend to manage stress particularly well compared to those with a shorter version of this gene? Of course. Of course, let, let me explain. Let me explain this to you. Cesar and his colleagues co- conducted a study. In the study, the group of researchers recruited four volunteers. Where two participants they had the long version of the gene, while the others had the short version of the gene. So, um, each participant were asked to wear a scarf for a controlled number of hours. The, their their scent were left on the garment. The team of researchers brought the volunteers in the lab and they gave them T-shirts. So from these t-shirts... And they, did they put these t-shirts on? Yes, they did. Okay. So after wearing these t-shirts, these t-shirts were mixed with the, were mixed with the people who were not part of the study. And then after the dogs, then they, the dogs were able to, to smell if the, if the t-shirts belonged to, um, belong to the people who were used for the study. That is interesting. But then what happens when participants who are exposed to a stressful condition where the dogs are able to pick up their shirts from the lineup of the people who are there? Well, well, the next session, what they did was then they they gave the volunteers the t-shirts to put on and then they had them doing some public speaking. This was done to trigger some stress hormones. This altered their scent. The dogs had some difficulties in identifying the t-shirts of of the t-shirts of the of the people who were used for the study. Okay, so this suggests that these people's natural scent was altered in some way in response to this added stress of public speaking. Yes, but Cesar and his colleagues suggest, uh, and his colleagues, they still have to confirm their findings since they haven't done it on a large study. And also, the research team has not yet studied how being scared or stressed may change your your body odor. So, are you suggesting also that maybe we should, you know, change our ways in which we uh, we can suss out if somebody's fearful or not? Like maybe the dogs are not doing such a great job after all. No, um, criminologist and forensic science Akiyama Cliff of of the forensic consulting in Philadelphia, he says that um, we should not yet we should we should not yet give up on dogs because dogs can still they can still look they can they can still find people with a long version and also if for instance let's say probably you one is missing uh, let, let's say if you if you are missing and you're having mm-hmm. the, the short the short version of the gene but then you're not stressed you could be found and also um this the change oh, also the 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 scent might not be changed Okay, that is, um, yeah, that is quite interesting. I wish we could, you know, really go more into that. And it is, you know, quite informative. I mean, uh, but did they, did they not think that um, 
I do not think that we could have dogs dealing, having to deal with, uh, you know, difficulties in tracking people down and, you know, sensing odor because my dog can sense me from a mile away. By the time I reach the gate, I don't even need to announce myself. Well, sense is the most very powerful weapon. So you, so it's so amazing how we we discover new things every day. Well, that is unusual, unlikely, and unscience. So next up, we are still chatting with Dr. Nosipuengwala of the Rhodes University, who is so good at her work that it's actually translating into uh, the quality of students she is producing. We were speaking to her earlier about her professional work and what she has achieved in her career. But now we are going to look more deeply into her life and um, what else she still uh, has to offer. But more on that after a short break. This is the Science Inside. So on the Science Inside, and on the line we have Dr. Nosipuengwala of the Rhodes University. And right now we are going to be digging a little bit more deeper into um, her personal life. Uh, so we get up close and personal with her. Welcome back, uh, Nosipue. Um, are you on the yeah. line? Yes, I'm here. Okay, now we would like to get just uh, a little bit more up close and personal with with you. We would like to talk to you about your journey, about you know where you came from, where you um, where you grew up, and how um, you know you've developed these dreams of you know be, you know working in the science field. Like, have you always had um, academic? Do you do you come from an academic background, perhaps? Um, okay, um, I was born in Mzimkolo, Mzimkolo is KZN. and I grew up at Mzimkolo, the rural areas, and I went to Mount Train in Pasquane. So, um, I was in the township. So, I always wanted to make my community a better place. I didn't know that I would end up being an academic. Of course, like Granny is a, is, a, is a teacher and she has a principal, but my mom was uh, was a domestic worker, mm-hmm. and my father is a, is a security guard. So, for me, growing up in the village and moving into town, moving across provinces, South Africa, and Africa, it was never something that I thought about, but it was something that has contributed to who I am. I wanted to be a doctor professionally, mm-hmm. but due to circumstances, I didn't get to be a professional doctor. But I'm still happy to be in the pharmacy industry because I get a chance to advise and be with the doctors, be on the other side. Sure. So I'm still happy. Okay. So um, I understand that you did your BSc in pharmaceutical chemistry at Fort Hare University. And fast forward, here you are lecturing and doing amazing things at Rhodes. Uh, what has the transition been like? Because we all know that Fort Hare is one of the previously disadvantaged universities, which was marginalized, and, but still produced many great politicians and scientists. But did you face any pushback uh, because of where you did your studies? Okay, um, of course, you always face challenges as, as a black woman, 
because I'm young, I got my PhD at a very early stage, and most of the time the students will think that you are also a student, or even if you are in a Senate uh, meeting, they will always think that, oh, are you a student? Yes, I'm a student also. <laughs> so, but you have to get used to such things. However, I don't believe in the term of, of, of marginalized institutions because that term sort of centralized things. For example, we can say um, in a way that um, we can say that, okay, you have to be like this in order to get things. There is no formula for such things. So I don't really believe in that term because, for example, I did my PSA course. From Forte, I went to CSIR as an intern. So at CSIR, I got an opportunity to work in the industry where we were actually producing the extra drugs, the ARVs. And it was very exciting in 2009 to be part of the drug discovery team. And it was a good opportunity. And from there, I went to bed to do my master's. So, um, so I went to USH because it was important for me to get a stage. I didn't know that it was a disadvantage institution. So what was important is to make sure that I get a degree and get someone. So you can see that for people that are at Forte or who are coming from Forte, they don't see the disadvantage that is seen by the world. They see a space. I can say that Institutions like that, they end up creating spaces for the people that are unable to get out there because at the end of the day, I ended up going to this. From this, I came to Rhodes University. So from Rhodes University, we're still able to do things. I'm still able to do things that I would have done. For example, this project that I'm doing, most of them, they were inspired. And I remember last week, I went on uh, to sampling. So I was sampling um, Eastern Cape River. But I was telling my students that, you know what, first time for me to visit this site was with uh, my former supervisor, Professor Opo, during honors. So during honors, we went for a project and we discovered the mysteria. And that time, it was not making sense for probes. But then when we had the mysteriosis outbreak, called us and said, guys, you remember you discovered this and the paper came out, hmm. you know? So it, it is out of those humble beginnings that good things come out. So I'm happy though to be a growth university, which is not seen as disadvantage. But what I was trying to say is that, look where I am, where I come from matters the most because it influences the place of where I am. So even the ideas of being involved in the community, I don't think if I was from, if I was not exposed to how is it to be in a rural area, how is it to be in an urban area, and how to navigate the system, I wouldn't be interested in creating opportunities for graduates to make sure that they can sustain themselves. So it, it is influenced by, all these ideas are influenced by mind, my origin. Very true indeed. And I appreciate the fact that you just outlined the fact that it's not really about where you come from, but it's about 
your intentions as an individual and where you see yourself and um, actually that uh, stage that um, the uh, that Fort Hare University created for you actually um, I can say put you in a better position um, as you have rightfully stated but I know that you are also a mom of two and I've taken our audience through uh, this uh, your professional journey but I have also been made aware that you are no simple white coat wearing scientist, but you also have some pizzazz. Now, I'd like to find out where do you draw your fashion sense from? And most importantly, how do you make the time? <laughs> okay, I'm a mother of, uh, of one boy, Ezele, the corner. So, um... I, I just, I think the drive is coming from the fact that I'm raising someone here, and I'm also responsible to create a better place for them. I think that is what is motivating the most. But most importantly, I'm very passionate. I'm very committed to my community. I'm very uh, committed to um, to make my community a better place to live in. So... Yeah, I try. I travel around. Publication needs to come out. Competitions need to happen. You know, we need to represent on faculty. We need to represent internationally and nationally. And uh, I must say that we need more women in science. As much as people say they are they, but um, people like me, we can still feel that there is a gap. There is a huge gap. So if we can get more of us, then we wouldn't be everywhere. But I still have passion and the zeal and the drive to make the community a better place for all. Okay, um, so I, I'm actually curious. Cause I want to know, because I know that most professions are very passion-driven. So I want to know, um, does the work that you do also translate to how you live your life and how you treat waste? Yes, of course, of course. You can't you can't sell the product that you don't believe in. Mm, mm. So I don't. I, I what what we do is, is what we practice at home. Like for example, if we say say water, you don't flush at night. You don't flush at night. You don't need to flush during the day. If you are only doing certain number, you know, number one, number eight, number nine. <laughs> I'm not going to mention other things. <laughs> but um, recycling, we talk about it, we do projects. I also work with schools. So I can't really, I can't really fake it because you go to the, you go to town, the students are there. Even if it's the learners from junior school, they are there. They can see you, they can they can see what you're talking about. So you need to make it a lifestyle. So I can't just talk about things. If I'm talking about energy drinks, I can't be buying energy drinks. Like we do any we're doing research on energy drinks. We are we are saying no to energy drinks because of the level of of, of the toxic chemicals that they have. So I can't be seen carrying an energy drink around. Hmm. 
I back you 100% on the energy drink uh, <laughs> uh, thing or sentiment. But uh, also, when you started your career in pharmaceutical chemistry, did you ever imagine that um, your career would have such far-reaching uh, impacts? No, actually, I was, I, okay, so basically what motivated me, <laughs> I was just, I was tired of being taught about different people from where I come from. Mm-hmm. So, of course, in science, you always find foreigners, if they are black, it's foreigners. And then, oh, it's white, <laughs> white people. So I, was, I just got tired of that too. But uh, does it mean that we cannot do this? What is it that we don't have? I never wanted to be a lecturer because I come from a background where everyone is a teacher. Hmm. So I, I was like, no, I can't be a teacher as well. I'm sure there's something better out there that I can do. So me being a lecturer is me giving back to the community. For a certain time, I'm going to change my career very soon. <laughs> very soon okay so i'm gonna be something else within what I'm, I'm gonna be something that i wanted to be for now i can say it was just me being loyal to my community and making sure that i'm the transformation that i want so i can't say that okay you want to transform you want to transform um, the university but at the same time i'm the one who is living so i was faced up with such and with uh, with such situation, I felt like here is an opportunity for me to change things. So if I leave, it will take another five to ten years to close the gap. So that is why I I go with tech. In the time that I'm here, bro, these are the commitments that I I I I, I want to achieve. These are the goals that I want to achieve. This is what I'm committing to do. These are the years that I want to uh, I want to do these things. And then after that, I can go and be the change somewhere else. Wow, it has been a really uh, riveting and interesting and insightful interview with you, uh, Dr. Nwala. I really appreciate uh, you coming onto our show and speaking to us. And that was it from um, from uh, from us for this week. Um, so we are thankful for having you on our show tonight. Okay, thank you so much, guys, and thank you, thank you, thank you so much to the listeners. Bye. Okay, then, bye. This is the Science Inside. Welcome back. Now, we were talking to Dr. Nosipue Nwala over the last uh, 45 minutes, and we were talking about her career as a pharmaceutical uh, chemist and the positive work and impact she has had on, you know, the community in which she has been working uh, with uh, in reducing pharma waste and preventing toxic pharmaceutical and chemical waste there uh, from infiltrating our fresh water sources and in unscience we discovered why uh, dogs can't smell people who are fearful and that was ill um, that was all on tonight's show uh, and we would like to thank our guests who are featured on the show tonight uh, not forgetting dr nosipio Nwala, jacqueline mudika and pizzo moses today's team behind the scenes is produced by Masibulele Lunika K 
champion Zarima Lebohangmongane and tag tonight was by Siabonga Nduli. Po- uh, our podcast can be found on vits.journalism.co.za forward slash science and on iTunes as well. And our social media on social media, you can find us as uh, VAUFM and on Twitter as at VAUFM. The Science Inside is produced by the Vids Radio Academy, funded in part by the South African Department of Science and Technology. That was it from our team tonight. Catch us next week, Monday, same time. The Science Inside Podcast.